If you're a local government enthusiast who's looking for fresh conversations over a hot cup of morning coffee or tea or while you're driving or walking the dog, you do you. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Local Gov Cafe podcast, hosted by Susan Gardner and Ann Mitchell. This podcast is devoted to having conversations that matter, covering the full menu of municipal topics. You'll discover guests who bring insight and inspiration to the issues that drive and challenge communities. We'll be talking with leaders in policy, practice, consulting, and academia to put a spotlight on civic government and the people who make it all happen at the local level. I'm very pleased that we have Matt Osler in the cafe today. Matt is the project manager for the City of Surrey, British Columbia, responsible for the Coastal Flood Adaptation Strategy. Welcome to the cafe, Matt. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. So Matt, when you're dealing with climate change, flooding, and the threat of coastal communities being threatened, tell us how this adaptation strategy came to be. Great. Yes, back in around 2010, the provincial government mandated all local municipalities on the coast to consider sea level rise. So the first thing we did was to do some engineering studies, and it identified we had quite a significant hazard that would be building over time. So the mandate was to look at one meter of sea level rise by the end of the century. And that posed a big challenge for about 20% of the city's land base. Once the technical work was done, we went to the public and engaged with them to get their ideas for how to adapt to this big challenge. And that process went on to about 2019. And then with all that great information from the community and a comprehensive strategy in place, we were able to secure some federal funding. In fact, the largest grant the city's ever received and that really kick-started our work on the ground, and we've been at it for the last three, three and a half years. Okay. Now, the stakeholder engagement for the strategy was extensive. How did that collaboration with other communities work, and how is the group keeping it on track for results? So the land base, like I said, was about 20% of the city. So over that area, we had a huge range uh, from a uh, First Nation uh, reserve land, to large agricultural producers, to a residential home community, as well as critical lifeline infrastructure that connected hundreds of thousands of people in different parts of the, the city. So there was really something that we needed to look at from all angles. And we did that through a series of workshops where we could really delve into the um, issues from, say, the environmental and recreational community separate from the, uh, say, the agricultural community. And so once we identified all the values that were of concern to the community, then uh, we went back to them and, and started co-developing solutions. And because we were working so closely with the stakeholders and the rights holders, such as First Nations, we were able to really build a broad support for some, some priority uh, actions. And then uh, once we got into implementation, uh, we had a really engaged uh, base of stakeholders to, to continue to uh, draw from and to collaborate with. And that served us really well for uh, the implementation phase. And we are learning as we go. 
uh, as we get more information, we can uh, pivot and, and adjust things. And like I say, we're about halfway through our eight-year program. And what are the key components of that program? Just to give listeners an idea of what your strategy looks like, what the implementation, what, what it is you're doing. Great question. We identified indicators for each of the sectors involved to make sure when we're doing a project that it addresses their concerns. And then there were a lot of values that we identified and we distilled those down into about half a dozen guiding design principles. So I can just touch on a couple of them if that would be helpful. Absolutely. So one of them is building with nature. And in one of the participants' words, you can't fight climate change by creating more climate change. It doesn't make sense on, on a global scale. And, and they were encouraging the city to act locally in its work. And so that's where using natural solutions has less uh, intensity of carbon for construction. And then over its life cycle, it can sequester carbon and doesn't require the same sort of intensive construction to maintain it in perpetuity. Nature has a way of being able to gradually adapt to changes. One of the high-profile projects is called uh, the Mud Bay Living Dike. And what it is, it's building a salt marsh where currently a, a mud flat exists. And not only does that achieve the, the principle of building with nature, but it also creates um, uh, co-benefits, such as improving the ecosystem, as well as um, mitigating wave energy when it's breaking on the shoreline to reduce erosion and reduce how high we have to raise the shoreline to prevent the water from inundating the, the low-lying ground around the, the shoreline. So understanding constraints of local government and the changes that occur every time we have a municipal election, do you have concerns that this strategy, being an 80-year plan, will lose support and momentum with the changes in council? Climate adaptation is really in perpetuity. Uh, with the amount of uh, emissions that are locked in to the environment, figuring out how we can have uh, the durability for these types of projects to continue uh, for council after council. I think uh, one of the successes we've had is by really investing in the process at the outset to make sure that it, it really uh, reflected the needs of the community, because that's the role of elected officials is to respect the, the the needs and desires of the community. And so having seen how much work went into this, that gives uh, future politicians that sort of comfort and, and uh, due diligence that a robust process was followed. And when it came down to getting investment, because so many stakeholders were engaged, we had over 20 letters of support for our funding application. So that was just one tangible example of how like the level of buy-in we had. And all along through the process, for those who attended, we would do an exit survey to ask them on a scale of one to four, say, how supportive are you of this work? And, and did you understand the material? Was your voice heard? That type of thing. So we could really only advance to the next step if we had the data to show that we had the uh, level of support we were looking for. And then ultimately, when the federal funding was awarded to the city, that had a, an eight-year timeline on it. By, by locking into that contract, it had the durability of two, two councils. 
And I think the process was so well done and well thought out. And then also I noticed when I watched the background video on it, that you did talk a little bit about these small pieces and implementing some of the smaller wins or the smaller strategies to help support the project. Can you expand a little bit on that, Matt? That's a really good question. When you're doing a long-term plan like this, naturally, the instinct is you want to solve the problem, right? But really, all we need to figure out is what we're doing in the next few years. And so by by looking to year 2100, help envision a different future without uh, anyone feeling that it was going to impact them tomorrow. Because if you start talking about impacts too close to home, people get their guard up and maybe get locked into status quo thinking. So by going multi-generations into the future, people could remain creative and open-minded. And then we could work backwards and, and we call them uh, no regret options. And so once you see the full range of directions you could be headed, you can see, okay, what actions do we need to do today that keep the door open wide for the full range or as many of the, the solutions as possible? And then when we applied for the federal funding, we then took an even smaller subset of that to make sure that we had something really for everyone involved. That way we could accelerate action because all our stakeholder sectors were on board. So everyone felt they were gaining something by supporting the greater project. And that is a challenge always is how do you raise adaptation to a higher priority than something else. Uh, otherwise, if you're always second from the top, your project may never advance. Uh, so by having something in it for everyone allowed us to really um, build that political support, build that energy and and, and accelerate into to action quickly. So we know that uh, the cost of these projects varies greatly. And as there are several communities as well as uh, different levels of government involved, uh, there can be some challenges there. How do you secure the, the financial and human resources um, that are needed to do this important work? And in a perfect world, all the deals would come together at the exact same time. Right. But the reality <laughs> is that, that it doesn't come together uh, like a, a fairy tale. And so what we had to do is almost like considered like a snowball where uh, we packed the, the start of the snowball by securing the federal funding investment. And then um, we could then go to other uh, partners and say, hey, look, we've got 40% funded. The city's needing to do, say, a related project. It can provide, say, 20% of the funding. And then that makes it easier to find the balance of the funding. And there was some risk involved. And ultimately, we're, we're, we're confident that, that all the pieces will come together. And we had that momentum of having an eight-year federal contract in place to give us some runway to line up uh, all the matching funding sources. Thank you very much, Matt, for spending some time with us in the cafe and talking about your project. We appreciate your time. Great. Have a good afternoon. Thanks for joining us in the Local Gov Cafe. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share on social media or tell a friend. And we hope you'll join us next time as we welcome our next guest. You won't want to miss it.